You know, I always believe in the songs, there's a sermon. And sometimes the sermon is sung in the song before I even speak. I tell you, it brought a tear to my eye when I heard that song, Jesus saved me. I have no place else to go. Amen? I noticed I took over the podium today when I brought up this laptop. I apologized to everybody before me. Uh, but I do want to let you know that my wife and my daughter was going to be here. We are in the middle of taking care of my mom, who ended up in a hospital. But I know that she sends her love to this church, and she would love to be here with us today. I also would like to not only recognize Aesir in the beautiful song with harmony and the piano playing, but I would also like to recognize what a great opportunity it is when I'm asked to speak. Well, how about that? You'll have to forgive me because my wife is here <laughs> with my daughter. Praise God. Yes, yes. Honey, I'm sorry. I did not see you back there. And it, it brings me to a Proverbs in 1914 where it says, A good wife is a gift from the Lord. Amen? Boy, am I earning some brownie points. <laughs> so, and then the opening song that leads to this is so sweet to trust in Jesus. You know, and as we go through our life, as we go through these trials, I hope that we are beginning to grow firmer and firmer in a foundation of trust with Jesus. I'm a builder, so I understand the foundation. You have to dig it. It takes time. Then you have to pack it, compact it, make it solid. Then you have to put the rebar in. Then you have to put the concrete in. Build our life on a solid foundation. And I want to start with a story. And as I tell this story, I actually didn't know a couple weeks ago, I was in Perry and they asked me to do the sermon, and I didn't know how to open the sermon up. And we were out in the field, and one of the gentlemen said, Gary, you've got to hear this story. And I said, why is it? so important that I heard a story. This is a young man who was homeless. He was on the street. He said it's because it's so touching. It's so meaningful. Well, I went and looked it up. It brought me to my knees. But as I tell this story, I want you to think of God and His only begotten Son in heaven. There was a drawbridge operator he had a young son who he dearly loved. They were inseparable. They would walk together in the evening. They would go to ball games. They would even eat, as us Adventists would say, vegan hot dogs maybe. Hang out together. And this morning he asked his dad, he said, Dad, can I come with you? Can I come and watch you as you perform your duties today, as you raise and lower that drawbridge, allowing the boats to pass through the narrow waterway, 
allowing the passenger trains to go over to the other side and reach it safely. On this day, the son was allowed to come to work with them. And as they are driving to the place, they saw a boat approaching, and the dad spoke to the son. He said, son, I want you to stay at a safe distance. I want you to be careful. Well, I go and raise the bridge for the coming boat. And as the father approached the wheelhouse, suddenly the boy heard this train approaching. In the distance, he saw the dim lights in the morning dew. The train was ahead of schedule. The father who was up in the control room, he couldn't hear the train, nor the warning cry of his son, as his son cried out, Dad! Dad! There's a train coming. And as a boy saw that train racing closer, he started to run along the platform. He knew if he could reach that lever that operated the gears of the bridge, it could stop the bridge from raising up and allowing that train to cross over. But as this son reached for the lever, he lost his balance. And he fell into the same gears that raise and lowers the bridge. He was caught. At the same time, his father, out of the side of his eyes, saw his son fall down in the platform. He also saw that fast approaching train. In horror, he realized that if he didn't start to lower this bridge, immediately... The bridge would not be down in time, and the train would not pass safely to the other side. The train would crash into the river below, killing hundreds of innocent people. The choice the father had to make was either to save his son from this painful death at the cost of hundreds of lives, or sacrifice his son for others to live. He made the only choice he could. He pulled the lever to lower the bridge. In spite of that noise of the descending bridge and the oncoming train and the whistle blowing, he could still hear the anguished screams of his beloved son being crushed to death between the gears of the bridge. The father ran to the platform as that train was passing by. Most people on the train simply ignored him. There was a man they didn't understand that was bent over. He was crying out in anguish holding his chest. And as they looked out the window, they were totally unaware of the sacrifice that he has just made on his behalf, on their behalf. Going on in life, 
as if nothing has happened. Given no thought or concern of this father's pain, who has just given up what was most precious to him. He gave up his son so they could live. He gave his son that we might live. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you have given up your son for us. You're just a mighty, faithful God. Now I ask you to hide me behind your cross. Lord, let the words be spoken today be from the Holy Spirit. Fill this room with thy presence. And we glorify you because there's nothing else worthy to glorify but our Savior, our hope, Jesus. Amen. Would you say our hope is Jesus? Amen. Do you believe it? Do you have the same questions that many of us do? How did we get here? How did sin enter heaven? Lucifer sat next to Jesus on the throne. Lucifer's form was perfect. Lucifer was the covering angel. And by choice, he became self-seeking. By choice, he became deceitful. By choice, he became envious and jealous of the Son of God, Jesus. Lucifer expired to be God. He did not to be, he did not expire to be like God. He wanted to be God. Is that a battle that we might have? Is it a battle that caused sin to enter universe? It's really the story of self. All the soul of the self. I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah 14, 13. And as you're turning there, I want you to listen to what Lucifer said in two verses. Give me a hearty amen when you're there. Isaiah 14, 13. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt the thrones above the stars of God. I will take the stars of the stars of God. I will sit next to God on the sacred mountain. I will be like the Almighty, the Most High God. Six times. In two verses, in verse 14, I will dwell in the highest heavens far above the clouds. Six times, I or self came into play. How many times have I or self became a battle in your life? Whether it was for a job, a position. When you felt you were passed over, or a spouse you felt was not giving you the time that you deserve. Or a boyfriend or a girlfriend not paying enough attention. Or when someone asks you for help, you are too busy with self. 
I'd like to imagine how heaven was feeling. Remember a time when you and your family was overcome with grief. Maybe a divorce has happened in your family. Maybe it was a medical. Or maybe it was your child that you love was messing up. Or maybe you've lost a spouse. Or you lost a friend. It was the same in heaven. There was a sorrow unknown before sin. And all of heaven was filled with this song. Because it realized that the world God has created, its beauty was to be filled with doom, misery, sickness, and death. That man, his creation, will be lost because of sin. I think we just need to look around and let's just take the last couple weeks. The senseless killing of a school, 17 beautiful children shot. Bombings that are taking place killed in hundreds of children over in the Middle East. Poison gas being released on innocent people. The hijacking in Africa just a couple weeks ago innocent children or just yesterday a family who went to pick up a son for spring break and the son shot him. It goes on and on what sin has created in this world. In a spirit of prophecy when I read this I was amazed. It said it was Christ who approached the Father. His expression was of sorrow. He looked at his father and he said, Dad, can we talk? My heart is heavy. And as as they entered this meeting together, I can imagine God looking at his son. And I can imagine the heartbreak and the tears that would swell up, knowing what his son had on his mind. His father looked at his son and he said, How can I let you go? You're my beloved son. And if I've let you go, they're not going to believe you. They're going to reject you. They're going to surprise you. And they're going to beat you. And at the end of the journey, son, they're going to hang you on a cross. And they're going to crucify you. I can imagine Jesus looking at his father, pleading that he may give his life as a ransom to take the sentence of death upon himself for you and I, that we might find that pardon through his blood and obedience and his grace. Looking at his father, how can I not go? Who else can pay this price? Our hope and our only hope in the beginning was Jesus. See, the Lord could have cut off Lucifer. He could have utterly destroyed him. But Jesus chose the costly way. He chose to show us His great love and to provide you and I with a hope 
Our Lord entered that meeting with a heavy heart, but he came out with an expression of calm, free from worry and doubt. See, a way of salvation was made for the salvation of man. I believe this to be one of the greatest mysteries that we can all experience. Christ, our hope, the plan of salvation, the plan of salvation is supernatural. It's impossible for us to understand why our Creator would come down to this earth, why He would leave His heavenly home where he was worshipped, where he was adored, to be manifest in flesh only to offer himself as a sacrifice. This is so hard to comprehend that even the angels wanted to know more about this mystery. In 1 Peter 1.12, it says, even the angels would like to know more. To understand of why Jesus, I hope, would come here. Would come to this earth. In Hebrews seven twenty two, Jesus made himself responsible for us. Only his life could pay the debt of sin. And you know, Jesus still came. He knew that he would be a misunderstood Savior. He knew that he would be a suffering substitute. He knew that he would be crucified on the cross. That leads me to the, one of the toughest chapters in Isaiah 53. And I've read it many times. And I've, every time I read it, it brings a tear. But every time I read it, how do you deliver such a powerful verse? How do you make it into something that others can understand and that it will touch their heart? I had to pray about this. And if you would, turn to Isaiah 53 with me. And we'll go through verse 1 to 3. And I'm going to begin the story of a misunderstood Messiah. It says in verse 1, Who has believed our message? Who has seen the Lord's hand in all this? And it ends with, Who, not many, mercy. The people in thousands, thousands came to her Jesus speak. They came to see him heal the sick. But they didn't really know who this man was. They knew something special was about him. And when you look at this, what drew people to Jesus? And I advocate to you, they could see that he cared. I advocate to you that he was thoughtful to others. I advocate to you that he was loving. He wasn't like other teachers at that time. Sure, others came for selfish reasons. They would hope that Jesus would lead a revolt. 
They would hope that he would proclaim himself king on this earth and relieve the oppression of Rome. Others also came because they liked the miracles. They admired his courage. They were drawn to the beauty of his teaching. But nothing more. Because when confronted, now watch this, and don't let it hurt you. Don't let it step on your feet. Because when confronted to be called his followers, to give up this world, many left. So many left that in John 6, 67, and you can go there, Jesus looked at his disciples, and I imagine he had a heavy heart. And he asked, are you going to leave me too? Are you leaving me also? Are we sometimes not willing to give up what Christ has asked us to do? Do we have one foot in the church, yet we have one foot out in the world? Do we feel sometimes that Jesus is asking too much of us? Have you thought about leaving? Jesus, is this world and the temporary pleasures pulling at you? I get it. I understand. When I think of men, when I think of the man crying over his son as that train went by and the people did not recognize him or acknowledge the pain he was suffering, it reminds me of John 1.11. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not recognize him, meaning his own did not receive him. Can you imagine? Put yourself here. Can you imagine coming to a family reunion, a family get-together? You're excited to see those that you loved. You're excited to see those that you have sacrificed for. And they turned their back on you. They treated you as an outcast. They paid no attention to you. Or worse, they plotted to kill you. Have you ever had these feelings? Can you relate? You're not alone. Jesus understood. Jesus, I hope, also had felt this. Let's continue about the leaders. With a few exceptions, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. The leaders were worried. What were they worried about? They were worried that Jesus would take away their power and authority. I don't even know if I should say this. But I look at our church today. We're united as one people. But yet we have divisions. It breaks my heart. And why do we have divisions? It's because somebody's scared to lose some power. Somebody's scared to lose some authority. We're a people with two conferences. In Matthew 12, 24, after healing the blind and the mute man, they accused him 
Jesus of being in a league with the devil, I ask you, have you ever done a good thing for the right reason? People were jealous. They made false accusations about you. They condemned you. They talked bad about you. They turned something good into something ugly. Just because they felt threatened. They felt insecure. They feared the unknown. Has this happened to you? Jesus, I hope, knew how this felt also. As we continue on in verse 2, it says, He would grow up like a tender plant and dry ground. Dust. Dry ground. Born in a stable. A little town of Bethlehem. In Matthew 13, 55, they dismissed Jesus saying, Is this not the carpenter's son? See, Jesus didn't fit the expectation. He wasn't born into the privilege of society. He didn't come from the right town. He didn't come from Rome. He didn't come from Jerusalem. You know, it's not fair sometimes, is it, in life I would judge. You didn't go to the right school. You weren't born in the right neighborhood. You've heard it. You're not going to amount to much. Nothing good can come from your family. You're passed over, not because that you're not that qualified. You're passed over because you don't fit in. I can remember my first business loan. I think it was my second year of college. I didn't come from the right family. I didn't come from the right town. I didn't come from the right bloodline. But I had an idea. And I put it together. I put a business plan together. And I can remember to this day, walking in, feeling good, knowing that I had what it took to be a success. As I sat across from the banker, he looked at me and said, Who are you, young man? I told him who I was. I put together the plan. I'd like you to look at it. Didn't even, didn't even glance at it. He just looked at me. He said, Are you from this town? Of course, he knew I wasn't from there. I was a Yankee in the South. <laughs> he didn't have to ask that. Then he goes on. Who is your family? I didn't come from the right family. I come from a dysfunctional family. Of course, I didn't get the business loan. But I want you to know, through the grace of God, I became a success. In John 1, 46, it says, Can any good come out of Nazareth? Have you ever felt this way? See, Jesus, I hope, knows how you felt. As we continue in verse 2, he had no ordinary appearance. Nothing that we should desire him. 
He wasn't a head-turner the way we think. He had no crown, no royalty. Oh, don't let me step on anybody's feet. He didn't have the Mercedes. He didn't have the BMW. I get it. I, my wife has a Lexus, so he didn't have a Lexus either. I, I drive a Toyota. But our Savior didn't even have a home to lay his head on. He was homeless. A Christ appeared as an ordinary man, hiding his divinity. In verse 3, he was despised, rejected by man, acquainted with sorrow, grief. They turned their back on him. He had no value. And they took no pity on him. Could you imagine how sad Jesus was to see the world we live in? Those he came to save, those he, he was willing to lay down his life for, they were the same people that rejected him as their Savior. The shortest verse in the Bible is John one thirty five. It says Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. Have you ever been rejected because of your beliefs? Young people, have you ever been asked to hang out where there was drugs, liquor, smoke, things that you just didn't want to be around? And you declined because of what you believed in? And you lost friendship. When I gave my life to Christ, wow, 10 years ago, praise God. I had a friend for 30 years. I lost my relationship with him. I still think about him. I still love him, but I don't fit in. Have you ever felt like this? Jesus knows how it feels. He felt like this also. They're all looking. They all knew a Savior was coming, but people wouldn't listen of how and why He was coming. It's the same today. We just go on believing that tomorrow is guaranteed. It's never going to end. My wife calls it something. She calls it selected hearing. She says I'm pretty good at it. Mercy. But that's a message for another day. His own did not recognize Jesus. In Matthew 2, 1, it says, now watch this, his own didn't recognize him, but others did. Matthew 2, 1 and 2, the wise men from the east figured it out. They went to find this newborn king. What was the difference Brothers and sisters, can you tell me what the difference was? His own people didn't recognize the Savior. I will share with you what I believe was the difference. They were studying. They were watching. And they were praying. Moses, Davis, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah, Zechariah, even Malachi the last prophet in the Old Testament, the theme has been that God would send his son one day. 
Our hope with all this information was the same as it is back then. And it's the same today. And are we still rejecting Jesus? Mercy. I want to break it down for you. Jesus was born. And when Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill him. His own people took offense to his ministry. In the closing hours of his life, he was betrayed by Judas, then denied by a special disciple, Peter, then hung on the cross. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. The suffering didn't begin on the cross. The suffering is what took Jesus to the cross. Isaiah 53, 49, for the sake of time, I can't go deep into this. But I want you to know he knew that he was going to be a suffering substitute. Christ took what you and I deserve. He bore the grief in verse 4 and carried our souls. In verse 5, he was pierced for our sins. In verse 6, he took our iniquity. In verse 7, he was oppressed, mistreated, and falsely accused. In verse 8, he was unjustly arrested, judged, led away to die. Verse 9, buried without honors. Jesus suffered for you and I. Have you suffered for Jesus in this life? Jesus knew how it felt to suffer. You remember the story, it was though as Jesus was crushed in them gears. It was as if Jesus was dying that painful death while the Father looked on. While bearing the weight of the sins of this world, just imagine, I want you to imagine, everything that you have done wrong in your life and all the hurt that you maybe have caused someone. Imagine all that pain coming to you in one blow. It would be stagnating. Now imagine the whole world and all its sin, all the guilt and the pain laid on your shoulders. This is what Jesus felt at the cross. Not this your sins or my sins, but everyone sins. And as Jesus cried out, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? It is sin that separates us from God. No father would ever want, would ever want to see such a death for their children. Imagine how painful this was for our Father God to see His Son. We saw our hope was in the beginning, in heaven, meeting with, our fa- meeting with his Father. We saw our hope was Jesus as he walked on this earth. We saw our hope in the victory that was won at the cross. See, the Son wasn't alone on this journey. The Father and the Son endured it together. You and I are not alone either on this journey. Jesus knows what's troubling you. Jesus knows when you're suffering. He's there. 
He's with you. He's just asking you to let him in. You know, one of my favorite Hebrew words, and it's, no, it's my favorite Hebrew word, hallelujah. Can I get everybody to say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen. Because I have some good news. It didn't end at the cross. Verse 10, he will rise again and complete the mission. He will see, Jesus will see the fruit of his labor. He will see his offsprings. Yes, you and I, we're going to live forever. My wife might say, that's a long time, honey. (laughs) But they say we'll get better. You know, we have a peace with God. We have a gift of eternal life. We have the assurance of salvation. And it doesn't come by works, but by faith for what Jesus accomplished. Our hope is Jesus, and he did not fail us. I'm going to end with one more promise, and it's one that I cherish. It's one that I look forward to. It's one that I hold, and it's in 1 Corinthians 2.9. The eyes have not seen, nor the ears heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared prepared for those who love him. Brothers and sisters, you and I can't imagine what God has in store for us. We can't imagine what he has built for us. I can't wait for heaven. Can you? I want to be there with each and every one of you. I want to be there with the church of Tallahassee. I want to be there with my family, my loved ones. I want you to meet the man who took me out of an orphanage because he's going to be there. He was an Adventist missionary doctor and that's why I'm here in front of you today. And I want us to sit at the feet of Jesus. Amen? Our only hope. I ask if this is your desire today, just to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Let us stand and sing our closing songs. Page 633, when we all get to heaven.